Remain standing, if you would, and take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 16. Psalm 16. A victim of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out, or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lions have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we could come before you this morning. Lord, we are weak. And God, we are so uh, consumed with the things that come into our lives and always thinking how to react and respond to those things. Uh, but God, I pray that this morning we could just sit at your feet and you could just teach us, Jesus. Lord, that you could encourage us, that you would bind up those that are struggling, those that are brokenhearted. Lord, those who, who are, are strong and are growing, that they will continue to grow stronger in their faith as they see the glory of who their God is in this passage as well. Oh, Father, I pray for those who don't know you at all, and maybe they think they do, or, or God, I just pray that you would take the blinders off their eyes so that they could behold the glory of who you are and what you have done for them. Lord, speak to us today. We pray, if you don't act this morning, God, then we just walk out of this room the same as we were when we walked in. And we are praying, God, that you would would you do a mighty work in our hearts by faith? We ask in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning I, I want us to look at Psalm 16 so that our souls might be strengthened in Christ. And it might be that you're here today and, and you're struggling. You're, you're going through some kind of trouble. You're going through some kind of hardship. And for some of you, that may be so severe that it sort of shakes you to the core of your being. But there may be others of you that are, that are here today and, and you're like, well, no, actually, Pastor Rick, the troubles of this world are the last thing that's on my mind. It's a glorious Sunday. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord and to worship Him. And so, you know, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good, Pastor Rick. Well, I'm really glad to hear that. I'm so excited for you. You know, but the reality is at some point in time, we will face troubles. But even if you're not, this is not a, a passage only to those who are in, in trouble, although that's where David was. And, and we see that in the opening verse as David prays to the Lord. Notice his prayer. He says, preserve me, O God. 
David is, is praying for God to watch over him. He's, he's praying for God to keep his soul. Now, David understood a little bit about this. You see, he was a shepherd at one time. And so he would care for the sheep. He would keep them. He would watch over them, guard them from uh, the enemies, the wolves, the lions, the bears that would, oh my, you know, that, anyway, that would, you know, seek to kill the sheep. And, and, and so he is actually crying out to his God, and he's saying, God, I need you to do that for me now in my life, in the circumstances that I'm in. Now, David doesn't tell us, at least not yet, what it is that he needs preserved from. That'll come later in the psalm. But David, all we know is, is that David is looking to the Lord for help. Now, I just want to say something, and, and this may seem sort of odd, but especially you young men in the congregation, I want you to listen to this, okay? It's interesting that David ran to the Lord in this way to ask for help you see in our culture we are taught that that manly men are self-reliant it's only weak men who turn to God but that's not what we see in Scripture that real men actually turn to God and David was a real man I mean at a young age he was a man who stood before Goliath over nine feet tall and, and he slayed him. He was a mighty warrior. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, David would return and Saul would return and people would sing and say, Saul killed his thousands. And they would say, David killed his ten thousands. You know, he was that great of a warrior. And, and yet, even as mighty as he was, as great as he was, he could have been very self-reliant, but he didn't. He turned to the Lord. Because you see, trusting God is a manly thing to do. And, and I want us, as we look at this text, to see several things about God and, and about David's uh, response to God. First of all, I want us to see David's commitment to God, his commitment. We see here this morning that the reason that David cries out to God um, is because of who he sees that God is. Okay, in other words, you know, David viewed God a certain way. And, and the way he viewed him caused him to cry out to God. Um, who was God to David? That's, that's an important question. And I think it's an important question for us, too, as well. How do we view God? Do we think of God as just sort of some generic being that's, that's sitting on his throne in heaven and he rules over all? And we think of him just sort of in this general sense you know, maybe we're more mature in our understanding and we go, oh no, God's not just in heaven, but he's with me, he's present with me and stuff. Okay, that's great. But still, oftentimes we can just think of God in just sort of a generic way. But David trusts God to protect him um, because he knows him well. I mean, and I guess in much the same way that the President of the United States uh, entrusts his life to the Secret Service, so David entrusted himself to God. I know that's not a perfect illustration because even secret service men are fallible, right? But uh, still, there was a sense in which David was saying that he had such a commitment to the Lord that there was really no plan B. Uh, if, if God doesn't come through, then David realizes that he was finished. And, and it's a sort of commitment where faith is necessary, where faith begins. And so I want us to look this morning, even as we begin looking at the psalm, 
Why does David fully commit himself to God? How does he view God? What does the word uh, Psalm 16 reveal to us about God? Well, first of all, David sees God as his protector in his hiding place. Um, he knows God is his refuge. And so David says here in this psalm, so I take refuge in the Lord. Whatever the trouble was that David was going through, he knows that God is the one who can protect him. Now, hear me, okay? What David is saying is, is that God is my safest place. We talk about safe places all the time, right? Even quick trips have signs, <laughs> safe place, right? If you have trouble, you know, you feel threatened, you can go there because that's where the police officers hang out. So it's a safe place, okay? Well, God is David's safest place. All the other ways that we have in being safe, whether that's depending upon friends, whether that's depending upon family, whether that's even depending upon ourselves, or maybe it's money, or maybe we're trusting in our reputation, whatever it may be, all of those things are second best compared to God. It's almost as if David is saying, you, God, are the safest refuge for me. And so I'm going to come to you. Just like a, a child who runs to their parents' room in the middle of the night, right? When they hear something that scares them because they know that if they get in mom and dad's bed, right, everything is okay. It's like that's base. That's like safe place. No monsters or bad dreams or anything can get on mom and dad's bed, right? In the same way, David goes to the Lord believing that God will keep his promises. Now, men, if I could... Talk to you once again. And I know this applies to women too, because women can be just as self-sufficient, right? But men, taking refuge in God is not the last option for weak men who are sissies, who are trying to avoid their responsibilities. That's maybe what the world is telling you. You know, that that's the way it is. But it's actually just the opposite. It takes immense courage and strong faith to trust God and to say, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Here's this warrior king. Here is this great statesman who banks everything on God's protection. But David not only sees God as his protector, but also as his treasure and as his sovereign or as his Lord. Okay, look at verse 2. He said, I say to the Lord, okay, that's all caps, right? So that's the name Yahweh. It's God's covenant-keeping name. He's saying, I say to the Lord, the covenant-keeping God, you are my Lord, my Adonai, my master, my ruler, the one who sovereignly rules over my life. Now, we as Presbyterians love to talk about God's sovereignty, don't we? You know, we know that everything goes through the hands of God. There's nothing that comes into our lives that doesn't go through the hands of God. Job is a wonderful example of that reality that each and every one of us experience. And so God is our sovereign master who rules over our lives. But we need to understand that God is not merely all-powerful, where he can do whatever he pleases. That's wonder. That's a wonderful truth. It's so neat to know that I don't have to worry about something coming out of left field that takes God by surprise. 
God knows, and that gives me great comfort. But just because God is able, sometimes there can be just a, a sense of lacking in our hearts, maybe questions uh, about other things. And oftentimes that question is about God's goodness. But notice what David says. I say to you, Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. What he's saying here is, is that David is saying, God, you are good. Apart from you, actually, I have no good. It's important, brothers and sisters, for every Christian to be convinced that the God that we serve is a good God. Until we really grasp that, until we really take that to heart that God is good, there will always be questions in our hearts. But David had resolved that. David had seen that. David recognizes that God is good. And, and what's more, it's not just that God is good, but only God is good. We can't let ourselves imagine that there is even a slight sliver of good apart from God and His will for our lives. Now, that's why we read in the book of James, James chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Now, you have to understand, James is writing to people who have been kicked out of their own country. They've been dispersed because of persecution. They're going under, they're under tremendous trials and suffering. And so he says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers, my brothers whom I love so much. He said, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In other words, there, there is no good gift that doesn't come from God. Not one. Not one. Now, Satan tempts us to think that we can find something good and satisfying that's not from God. As a matter of fact, that's sort of the essence of sin, right? A, a, a looking for good outside of God's provision and outside of His will. And that's exactly what uh, Satan did when he came to Eve in the garden, right? You know, did God do that? He, he was sort of trying to create this, this, uh, this picture in Eve's mind that God was somehow holding out on her. That there was some good apart from God that he was keeping from her. And so Satan was going to tell her how she could get that good thing. And, and you know what? I'm not saying humanity is stupid. But he, Satan has not had to change his strategy at all. He continues to come to us in the same way. And we fall for it in the same way. Think about the young woman who thinks that she will find love and security if she gives herself to her boyfriend because he wants her. Now what she wants is, is good. She wants to be loved. Maybe she wants security. She wants intimacy. But she's doing it apart from God's will. Or, or maybe even a man who indulges himself in pornography or, or a, an affair, a, a romance, office romance. and you know, He's looking for a good thing to have a sexual pleasure, but... He's looking for it apart from God. You see, God's way is through monogamous heterosexual marriage. Maybe a person who likes to gossip because they want to feel better about themselves, right? 
So they go around telling everybody else's dirt and stuff to all their friends, you know, because they just they want to feel better about themselves. They, they forget that they are precious in the sight of God, that God has made them in his image, that Christ has died for them. And rather than resting in that, instead, they find their significance in rehearsing the sins of other people by telling the latest juicy news. You see, what they want is good, but the way they go about it is contrary to God and His will. Or maybe it's the unforgiving man who craves justice. And justice is a good thing, but he wants to take vengeance into his own hands. And he wants to make things right. But God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Deuteronomy. Romans. Or a greedy person who clings to possessions for security instead of taking God as their refuge. I don't care what, what the sin is. Whatever sin we struggle with, brothers and sisters, if we dig below the surface of that sin, we are trying to achieve something good apart from God and His ways. But David sees God as his supreme treasure over everything else. He knows that God is sovereign. He is good and loves him, and he's wanting David's best. Brothers and sisters, you cannot commit yourself to God unless you believe that God is good, and not only that, that he is your only good in your life. Well, then David goes on in verses 3 and 4, and, and he really talks about how this commitment to God has a bearing on our relationships with other people. On the one hand, David is drawn to the righteous in verse 3. He talks about the saints and the land. They are the excellent ones in whom there is delight. But then he also, he talks about how he turns away from the wicked. He says in verse 4, The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply their drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. In other words, David not only turns away from the wicked themselves, but also their ways. He's seeking to follow the Lord in his ways. You see, being happy in God starts with saying no to unrighteousness. You know, you can't be happy and satisfied in God if you're right in the fence, right? If you're here this morning and you're seeking to follow the Lord in one way and you're also wanting to indulge in the sins of your heart in another way, maybe hang out with the wrong crowd and to do their things, and you come to church and every Sunday you feel this sense of anguish in your soul, you should. Because that's not how God has made you. God has created us to have one God in our lives, and that is Him. And we cannot have two gods to serve. Some people wonder why they can't find joy in Christ, but they, they have one foot in each world, in the world and, and in the church. And they want God to, to bless them, but they're living for themselves. You see, finding joy and satisfaction in God starts by saying no. And David would not take the name of these other gods upon his lips because he only took the name of Yahweh upon his lips. He said in verse 5, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Now, oftentimes, I think uh, we mistakenly read the Old Testament as if Israel uh, forsook the Lord in their worship and they turned to the false gods and worshipped them. And that's true to some degree. They did turn to the false gods. But what's interesting is, as you dig into the Old Testament, what you find oftentimes is that they were still worshiping Yahweh too. 
not the way that God prescribed them to worship, but they were trying to worship Yahweh the way they wanted to worship Yahweh, and also these false gods at the same time. And yet that's not the way of godliness. That's not the way of commitment. And David committed himself to God only. The fourth reason we see here that uh, David committed himself to the Lord is found in verse 7. He says, not only is God his refuge, his treasure and sovereign, but he's also his counselor. He says in verse 7, I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. You see, God gives David advice throughout the day, but also we see even through the night, uh, God instructs his heart. And this is a reality uh, even more so for us as believers in the New Testament than it was for David because God has placed his Holy Spirit inside of us and has written his law in our hearts as we see in Jeremiah 31. That's why James says in James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, what are we to do? Let us ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. You see, God is precious to us, not only because of his character, but because of his counsel in our lives, his leading, his directing in our lives as well. And so we treasure God for his teaching and his wisdom and his encouraging promises. Even at night, uh, he instructs us from his word when our thoughts are oftentimes dark and wondering. Have you ever experienced that? Where you woke up troubled and you just didn't know what to do. Your, your, your heart was, was wrestling you know, and hopefully you keep a Bible by your bedside table or your phone and you can grab it and you can open it up and you can read God's word and, and, and you see the Lord instruct you and you just see your heart calm down. Amen? Well, that's how David viewed God. And, and so I think we need to ask ourselves, you know, in one sense, do we see God that way? Do we see God in the ways that he works in our lives, um, particularly the things that we mentioned? Well, Because David viewed God this way, there was a sense of contentment that David had. So I want us to see, not only was he committed to God, but there was a sense of contentment in David's heart, even in his difficult circumstances. And and what I want us to see in verses 5 and following is David's contentment was in God himself. That's who David was content with. He was content because... He found his contentment in the Lord. Look at verses 5 and 6. Um, I'm not going to read those verses, but just sort of glance through. And notice that David's blessings sort of hang on four words. He talks about his portion, his lot, his lines, his inheritance. And these are all words that would point us back to the time of Joshua, when he divided the land between the 12 tribes of Israel in their conquest of Canaan. And each tribe was given its portion of the land by lot with clear boundaries, uh, sort of telling where they were, everyone was to live. And this land was their inheritance to be passed down through the generations. However, one tribe received no portion. Do you remember? Kids, I don't know if you remember that or not, but God said to the Levites in Numbers chapter 18, verse 20, he said, you shall have no inheritance in the land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. And so the priests and the Levites didn't have the security of having their own tribal area or their own property. 
they had to rely upon the Lord for safety and for God to provide everything. And that's what David is claiming here in verse 5. Is If you notice, for those of you that are in the Sunday school class, right on Psalms, verse 5, that's like the middle verse, right? It's the peak, it's the climax. You know, this is the main point of, of this psalm. He's claiming this same close relationship with the Lord, that he is finding his security. The Lord is his portion. He is his all. True safety and security doesn't come from property and possessions, but from knowing God and living in his presence. And what a heritage it is. Uh, how he is, David is blessed by God himself. Um, because God is David's inheritance. Um, God, God gives us, brothers and sisters, many blessings in this life. Okay, I know sometimes life can be hard and we talk about the trials and the difficulties. But let's face it as well. God is so good to us as his people, is he not? And, and, and um, as much as he gives us those blessings, though, what makes those blessings truly good is having God himself. It's not the blessings but it's God that makes the blessings so great. Turn over, if you would, to Psalm 27, verse 4. 27, verse 4. David says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Now, why does he want to dwell in the house of the Lord? He goes on and he says, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I just want the Lord. I just want to be in his presence. I just delight in him. Or turn over to Psalm 73. Psalm 73, um, verses 25 and 26. Asaph says something similar. He said, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. I don't care all these things I have on this earth. It's not all I want is you, God. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see, the greatest blessing God can give us is himself. And if we don't have God, then no other gift has uh, he gives us has uh, any meaning whatsoever. But do we believe that this morning? If God gave you health, but he didn't give himself to you, would you be satisfied? What if God gave you houses and money and a good job or uh, a, a good family, a good reputation, but yet he withheld himself from you? Would you be satisfied? What, what if you died and you went to heaven and you saw that the streets of gold and there was clean and, and bright air, you know, uh, and there was no more sin. Everyone got along, no fighting, no arguing. You saw your family, you saw your friends, but Jesus wasn't there. Would you be satisfied? Do you find that satisfaction in Jesus in your life now? You see, God himself is the one great blessing that makes all other things <coughs> worthwhile. Think of the great blessing that you have as a believer, even as we talk about the forgiveness of our sins. Why is forgiveness of sins such good news? 
The reason forgiveness of sins is such good news is because sin is what keeps us away from God. And the fact that our sins are taken care of and they are paid for and they are gone means I have intimate access to God himself. To be with him and to to delight in him each and every day. That's why it's so great. And so we see David's commitment. We see David's contentment. And now we see David's confidence. You know, David has gone from a prayer, a petition in verse 1, to, in verse 8, a steadfast confidence. Look at verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is my right hand, I shall not be shaken. In other words, I prayed that God would preserve me, and he has preserved me. I will not be shaken. He has that confidence in the Lord. David has gone from asking God to be faithful to affirming God's faithfulness, which then leads him to uh, um, great joy in verse 9. He said, Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. You see, seeing God as his refuge and his treasure and his sovereign and his counselor leads David to such unshakable confidence that, that God will preserve him, that it compels him to, to switch from a prayer petition to a prayer of praise and to worship and to see that God is faithful in his promises. And then comes verse 10, which is not only the foundation of David's joy, but it also gives us the answer to what David wanted to be preserved from in verse 1, right? Let me actually back up a little bit, read the end of verse 9, and I'll read through verse 11. But he said, my flesh also dwells secure. In other words, my flesh, my body, it's safe, it's unshaken, it's preserved. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, that is to the grave, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. You see, when David prays, preserve me, O God, in verse 1, David is praying that he, um, that he not be lost in death. He is praying that God would keep me body and soul forever. Even as I enter into death, may the Lord preserve me and keep me. You see, David is sure that all God has, um, that all God has been for him, his refuge, his treasure, his, his sovereign, his counselor, that God will be that for him forever. Not just here upon this earth, but even as he dies and he goes to be with him in glory, that God will be the same. Death will not be the end to his relationship with God. Death will not cancel out all that he has known and all that he has loved about God. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living, as Mark says in his gospel. Or Psalm 49.15. Psalm 49.15 says, God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Or Psalm 73.24. Psalm 73.24. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. You see, we have a promise, brothers and sisters, of life after death. If we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we are his children if we follow him. You see, with David's unshakable confidence being that God will preserve him, body and soul and death, he says in verse 11, that you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures 
forevermore. Because God has been his portion here, his safest refuge, his supreme treasure, his sovereign Lord and his trusted counselor, his confidence is unshaken that God will be all this forevermore. Death will change nothing. And that's the final preservation that David was hoping for in verse 1. That death will not keep him from the fullness of joy in God's presence. The beautiful inheritance of eternal pleasures at his right hand. Now, the other reason David has a great confidence is also because this psalm talks about something more than just David's experiences. You know, if you remember the prophet Nathan came to David, um, we oftentimes think of the time when he came to David to rebuke him for his sin with Bathsheba, and that's true, but he came to David other times as well. And one time in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, Nathan comes to David and he goes, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, in other words, when you die, when you close your eyes in death, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. You see, David would not, David would die and he would lie in the grave with his fathers, but God would set his descendant upon a throne and, and not as a descendant that would just be a succession of kings, that would happen for a while, but eventually there would be a king who would come, who would rule forever, who would never stop ruling. And that's what David was talking about in verse 10. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Of course, David is speaking of this future king who would reign forever. And Peter was right in Acts chapter 2, if you want to turn there, Acts 2, verse 30, uh, when he spoke of David, right? He's quoting this psalm, actually, Peter is in his sermon. And he says, Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and that we all are witnesses. And so while David prays in verse 1, Preserve me, O God, then he rested in the unshakable confidence that I will not be shaken and my flesh will dwell secure. I mean, David knew that he would die and he would go to the grave, but somehow... God would rescue him for eternal joy with God for all eternity. But David also knew that this was, was a promise that would come where a Messiah would come and put an end to death forever. Now, as those of us who have the New Testament, we know that that is Jesus, the Messiah, right? But before death could digest Jesus, before Death could turn Jesus to dust. Jesus killed death. Think about that. He killed death. He killed death for himself and all who belong to him, for those who trusted him in the Old Testament, for those who believe in him today. He killed death for all who have the same spirit 
that raised him from the dead. Romans chapter 8 verse 11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Brothers and sisters, this is the hope we have. This is the hope we have as we get older, we come to the end of our life, you know, and maybe we die of natural causes. We know that the Lord will usher us in. We know that this is the hope that we have, that if we're standing in our living room and we're having a conversation with someone on the phone and we drop dead of a heart attack, if we are in Christ, this is the hope that we have. If, if some tragedy happens, like what happened a couple of weeks ago with the shooting in Nashville, this is the hope that we have, brothers and sisters. And, and what are the characteristics of a people, of the people in this room who have the Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead? Well, they will exult and they will rejoice that God is their safest place. They will rejoice that God is their supreme treasure. They will exult and praise God that He is their sovereign Lord and He is their trusted counselor. This morning, let me ask you, do you rejoice with David that all this exaltation in God is only possible now and forever because Jesus, the Messiah, was not abandoned to Sheol and His body did not see corruption? Do you rejoice that He was swallowed by death for David and for us and before death could ruin him, Jesus killed death. Do you believe that? Do you declare that? Do you exult in that as the foundation of your hope to be unshaken forever? If you do, this psalm is for you. Whether you're going through hard times, whether you're going through great times, whether you think today's the greatest day you've ever had, this psalm is yours. And God will bring you body and soul through life and death to full and everlasting pleasure. He is your safest refuge, brothers and sisters. He is your supreme treasure. He is your sovereign Lord and he is your trusted counselor through Jesus Christ, the risen King of Kings. It sort of reminds you of the words of the Heidelberg Catechism, doesn't it, right? I, I knew some of you were just out there thinking this, going over in your mind. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong bought with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, there's an old adage that says, no one is ready to live until they're first ready to die. And because it's only when we face death in a living faith in God that we're prepared to live bodily. Excuse me, we are... Uh, able to live boldly and courageously for God in this life. True faith uh, faces death confidently and courageously. True faith looks to death, looks death in the eyes and says, Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? That is the reality of faith in Christ. Amen? Amen. And it's so good that we could come this morning and we could meditate upon this. I pray that you will take just a moment and just, just to reflect upon these words and maybe God will stir your hearts just to worship Him silently. 
Uh, maybe you'll come this morning and the Spirit will convict you of your sin, of how you haven't looked at God this way. You might need to confess. But let's just take a few moments and just silently pray to the Lord and then, and then we'll finish up our service. Please bow with me if you would. Thank you, Lord, for your word that you've given to us today. We do pray, God, that you would help us to, to reflect upon this and to think about this and even to consider how is it that we view God. Lord, even if we're your children, even if we uh, believe in you, um, I pray that you would strengthen us that we might understand and receive you by faith and and who you really are. Uh, please destroy any idols or any false notions that we have in our minds or in our hearts of who you are. Lord, help us to see your goodness and to delight in that as well as your sovereignty. Oh God, may you be the treasures of our hearts. Lord, I do pray, especially though for those that do not know you. God, I pray that they will not rest until they turn their hearts to you. Oh God, call them to yourself. Please, we pray for the work of your Holy Spirit in their hearts. That they might know the joy. The joy of such a glorious treasure as you. We thank you, O Lord, and pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen.